Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J10 Initiative. Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 Initiative. So COVID such a edition. formal, formal Quar- quarantine entry. Quarantine edition. Quarantine edition. Father John, Father Mike here at uh, St. Joseph's Seminary Parish House in Denver, just down the street from Our Lady of Lords Catholic Church, and uh, yeah, still in quarantine. Still in quarantine. I, I came over today wearing my mask. Right. And I've been wearing my mask so often that I am now driving with my mask. Oh, uh, you're one of the something, mask drivers. Something that I was uh, making fun of for a while. Yeah. And now I catch myself doing. Yeah. Here's my issue with the mask. Well, I've got a number of them, All right. actually. Go but ahead. One is, it steams up my glasses. Am I wearing it wrong? No, I, I think they're that annoying. I think that they yeah. they steam the glasses. Yeah, they steam my glasses. Okay, gripe number two. I'm just venting. Right. Um, I used to be able to tell who is robbing the train. <laughs> <laughs> there are like four or five guys. Who Everybody's are robbing the train suspicious. now. Exactly. It is funny. Everybody looks like they're up to no good. Yeah. You get the mask. You and put a mask is? on, and that all of a sudden it's like you're going to rob a bank. That's true. Is it like? We can tell intuitively. It's like you know, part of our evolution. We can tell by looking at someone's nose yeah. if they're up to no good. Right. So, are you a? Have you learned? Are you a mouth breather? I feel bad for the mouth breathers. To well, wear I think these I've things. always been a mouth. Have breather. you? You don't breathe through your nose. <sighs> Talk like that. Breathe like that. What? <laughs> People do that. Um, I don't know. I don't know. When I when I bike or when I run, I do a lot of mouth breathing. I noticed that because down at the river, down by the river, right, I've been ingesting a number of bugs. Oh yeah, the midges are whatever they are. They're terrible. I they know. come in packs of like a million at a time, just a little swarm, and then yeah. they just you smack your face right in your mouth. That's an advantage of biking with a mask, though. Is the midges? No, there's not much. You don't you eat can't the midges. Breathe, it's hot. I oh, it looks I terrible. I do not like biking. There's a with lot of mask. people biking with masks, and I I must say it looks horrible. Yeah, I don't like it. Except, you know what I decided, because I was freaked out about this um, train robber thing, I decided rather to think on one of my childhood favorite shows. um, Home Home Improvement. Really? You know, with that guy who's just peeking out over the fence. Right, the neighbor. What's his name? I have no idea. Wilson. Wilson? Wilson is the volleyball in the... The volleyball in uh, Castaway. Oh, boy. Well, we, you know who I'm talking about, though. You know, are you a prop guy in homilies? Uh, Father John Logger once had a volleyball. He did a whole homily about the Wilson. Survivor. And he brought the volleyball out. It was the whole volleyball thing. They're a prop. I think I could see you being a prop homilist in time. You know, I haven't thought about that, but I'm glad you suggested it yeah. because I would like to do that. Now, I don't, I, I don't think I'll ever be into I hope I won't. Um, like centering the whole of a homily around a, you know, like a movie uh, or a pop culture right. reference. I guess, yeah, I mean, you could do certain things like Father Brian talked about uh, Lord of the Rings, but that's a book. That's kind know, of this is timeless. Book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Jojo Rabbit, that would be a hard one to do a whole. Jojo Rabbit. Have you was seen Jojo the, Rabbit? No, but it was recommended. You got to see it. You're going to love it. The guys actually wanted to show it to you tonight, but I say he's got to get back Pray the Rosary oh, at 9. Oh, I would have liked to watch it with them. but It's crazy right. satire, but brilliant. It's very it's very interesting. I think you're going to like it. But This is one, yeah, when it was described to me, I'm like, ah, eh, because it's like Nazi Germany right. and a kid, and it sounds like extraordinarily depressing or sad or tragic or something, but also like it's supposed to be really funny. Yeah. Oh, so that's hilarious. how it was described to me. Yeah. Nazi Germany, a kid. Yeah. Really sad and tragic. Oh, you'll love it. It's funny. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. It's 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 extremely like contradictory, but it's it's I think it's excellent and and pretty brilliant. But yeah, it is. It's you know what hyster- else it's, like it's one then? of the funniest movies I've seen. But it is. It's about a ten year old kid who is a Nazi fanatic, and he's totally into the propaganda so much so that he's an imaginary friend who's Hitler. Um, oh boy! And it's, but it's, yeah, it's 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 excellent. I guess. Well, you know, I liked that. Life is beautiful. 
It's kind of of that and style. That yeah. kind of it's like chiaroscuro, right? Because the topic is so dark. Yeah. Then the humor is like really oh, nice delightful. use of chiaroscuro. Going back to the prop homilus, the craziest one I ever saw. I don't know if I'd recommend this to you, but uh, old retired bishop when I was in college seminary, he's getting all fired up. He's waving his hands, oh, and then all of a yeah. sudden, he reaches into the into the ambo. He pulls out a gun and he starts waving, oh, no, no, no. waving this pistol around, and everybody's like, hits the ground, and oh, it was man. like, wow, you, uh, you really made your point there. Now, I don't know if that was necessary, but oh boy, yeah, don't do that in Craig, Colorado. Yeah, they will shoot back. <laughs> they shoot before you get shot. That's the rule. Exactly. Whoa. Yeah. So wait a minute. Was that you can use props? Was but... that guy really a bishop? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, sometimes you get these reports that, you know, people are trying to sneak in and impersonate. Random guys. That's extraordinarily um, off limits, by the way. Don't play around with that. But it can't I'm, be that hard. I guess maybe it's harder than we think. You know, what? You buy the clerical shirt, you kind of just... Easier than we now think. Now you got to have all... Yeah, easier than you think. Yeah. Now you got to have all these letters of recommendation. If I go to... If we go to, like, Chick-fil-A, we got to have a letter, of, you know, the bishop oh, says you yeah. can eat here and... Well, Matt Tynan, shout out, brought us Chick-fil-A for lunch. You're Atta amazing. Boy. Thank you, Matt. He's been hooking it up, man. Amazing. Matt is like an angel. Um, what was I going to say about the the letters? With the, I don't know. Man, I had something amazing and profound, I'm sure. We've uh, covered a lot of terrain in the last few minutes. But um, that's what happens when you're quarantined. You don't have anybody yeah. to talk to. Oh, no. Here, here's what it was. So you know, this guy tells me uh, we're, he's screaming at the church from across the way in Rangeley at one point. It's just some dude. Screaming at the church. Yeah, he was screaming at the church. The There's a lot of circumstances. Okay. His estranged Filipino okay. wife was, or like ex was in there. There's a restraining order, okay. but he just wants to pray, you know. And he's screaming at the church. And I say, I, I say, well, just I'm trying to like give him reason to go back and sleep and sober up and then come and pray with me, you know, because uh, we have to do mass. So I, um, one of the things I, I just thought to do was, dude, are you Catholic? Are you even Catholic? You want to come into this church and pray? You're insisting that you do it right now. And he's like, yeah, sure. I say, well, say something Catholic. Say something in Latin. <laughs> and he goes, okay, I'm Baptist. Oh, <laughs> he crumbled. <laughs> I, I thought maybe if I ran into one of these like that's qu- hilarious. question mark priests, yeah. I'd say, say something say in something Latin. Say something in Latin. That's, that's a good good test. Yeah, not that everybody, I'm a Baptist. Everybody has to. Does he uh, fellow, my favorite, one of my favorite parishioners of yours was talk about, they go to Mass, but they're like, but I fellowship at Sunshine oh, Baptist yeah. or whatever that's that place exactly is That's exactly it. <laughs> Forget the name of that guy, Bob. Oh, he yeah. was a nice guy, but I think a The verb to confused. fellowship. Yeah, I'm Catholic, but I fellowship at... <laughs> so you go to church at the Baptist church, is what you're telling me. Right, right. Oh, no, no, he just yeah. fellowships there. Yeah, you know? but that's... Yeah. Right. All right, Bob, I got your number. Right. Well, how are things going over at uh, Our Lady Lords? You guys are celebrities now on formed.org, oh, right? Hey, check out formed.org, live streaming. I, yeah, I suppose, I mean... Do you get to preach? No. You're just in the sidecar. I am in the sidecar. Well, don't bring that up. Actually, I'm presiding a lot. Oh. So I feel like I'm driving the ship. But He's in the sidecar. (laughs) He's just got the microphone. He's in the sidecar. Yeah, I mean, Father Brian's a great preacher, so I'm glad he's doing it. I get nervous. Sweaty palms? (laughs) I don't... I Shaky. Shaky. Shaky is my thing. And actually, you know what? It's I'm really bad at improv, like um, just speaking off the cuff. So if I prepare a homily, I'm I'm like memorizing the outline, right? And I can go from point to point. I can keep it all in my head. Right. I, it's it's pretty good, I think. But if I just try to say something clever, or just like fill something in, it's terrible. So even if I'm making like a little announcement, I I butchered this thing about. Hey, happy Easter. Welcome. And I just started saying nonsense. This last time, I was throwing in an extra intercession. And I want to pray for, like, the, um, you know, front line. See, I can't even think of the, the words to say it, you know. The first responders, the healthcare workers, 
And then I start bumbling about like grocery deliverers right. and I don't know, other d- package See, I wonder, deliverers. <laughs> I do the same thing. I I wonder if it's just because we're out of the game. We haven't been in the parish in a long time. Yeah, but I panic. I couldn't I, I couldn't panic. do an intercessions off the cuff if my life depended on it right now. Yeah. I don't even know what I would say. Well, I'm glad it's not just. Me. Oh yeah, anything off the cuff. I think we I think as pastors they do it so often. Father yeah. Brian, Father Nathan, these guys are just always. Yeah, they sound going professional. Improving. They sound polished and yeah. everything. I I don't even know. It's yeah. like I was just, you know, drawn up from the pews and said, "Hey, say something." This guy, ordain him. Yeah, such is life. Well, so yeah, I guess things are good. I mean, we're the the complication right now. This is maybe a little more a little more serious, but also just like we need to brainstorm. I guess the complication right now is uh, we have so many in marriage prep. Yeah. What are they doing? Even my sister is trying yeah. to figure this out right now because she's engaged, and her wedding is like just right on the line of like maybe we'll be back in a church and have enough people, but it's probably people are still going to be uncomfortable and maybe limited numbers. Yeah. So then they're thinking, well, do we have a, a reception at an outdoor venue? Just this little wedding in the church and then a reception at an outdoor venue. But if you still have to stand six feet away, what kind of dance is that? You know what I mean? So people are talking like, well, let's put off our reception for a year. We'll do the wedding and then... So it's just... I think That's, I think that's people, a hardship in our parish because yeah. we've got so many weddings. There's, uh, there's a lot of weddings and then a lot of couples as well, yeah. I think, uh, I think people who are on the dance floor, when I happen to be on the dance floor, they would actually appreciate social distancing. Yeah. Well, they it's, do it's, it naturally. It's a dangerous... They do yeah, it anyway. Exactly. It's a very dangerous uh, place it, to be. It so. looks like quarantine there every, are positives, every wedding I've been to exactly, you, exactly. with you. Well, I'll make a general statement here uh, that you'll probably immediately find concerning or just outrightly disagree with, which is fine. My, I'm seeing couples that cohabitate are all kicking the weddings back a year, two years, no problem. Just boot it back, re- replan everything. We, don't, couple, have, the we couples, don't have those couples. The couples who are not uh, are really thinking seriously about making the sacrifice because they want to get married right now. That's what's They want to happen- get married in the next month. That's or- what's happening in our parish. Oops, sorry, phone's ringing. So what am I going to disagree with? That sounds like just an nah, observation. It's not very PC. It's not a very nice thing to say. Um, I, mean, I don't know that that's judgy. It's just reality, right? It makes people, sense, people right? People who are just living together, they don't care as much, right? right. Well, nothing's, I mean, it, it doesn't really matter. It's like, right. you know, but I... Uh, and it, it's, it's, it's a party. Now, I mean, I, like, I'm not going to try to get all judgy on your people. We're not referring to anybody specific, but the situation is often the case that is the party that they want. They want a yeah. special day. They want people to see them promising their love. No, yeah. Which I'm, is not the same thing as the sacrament of matrimony. Yeah. No, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. I'm just saying the general consensus seems to be Yeah. This is this is the way it's kind of shaking out. But yeah, I mean, part of it is the prep. Everybody wants prep, I think, oh, at Lords. It's hard right now, yeah. I mean, they really want to, it's a good program. The retreat got canceled. I I have the same thing. I have a, a few couples, not a lot, but uh, I want to spend time with them. They want to be, but it's yeah, it's crazy. It's a crazy time to be preparing for your uh, vocation, marriage. Guys getting ordained here in a couple of weeks. They're in a crazy thing. They're gonna oh get, yeah, it's going to be live. The stream. quarantine continues, and they can't uh, have uh, they have their parents, but they can't have family. And there's these guys all over the country. It's ordination season, yeah. so it's tough. I think uh, our guys but are... But you don't do it, like, just like with the wedding thing, man. You're not doing it because you want to have a, you know, hey, a spotlight or something. Yeah. The, the reason for the spotlight... All right, now I'm going to get, you know, up on the soapbox or whatever. The reason for the spotlight is for the sake of the whole church. Right. Right? So it's meant to be a witness. Let's gather the family so that they can be edified by these sacraments. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's not always about person right right in fact today so i went to to the er today and i uh, anointed this lady and fantastic lady by the way good catholic throughout her life she have covid put that mask back on no (laughs) she was at the er for um cardiac arrest you don't don't have to she was at the er for for cardiac arrest okay they took my temperature when i went in the er it's unusual that you can even go in (laughs) <laughs> so I'm going to assume that she did not have COVID. Um, 
anyway, cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs> sorry. Now, now this is uncomfortable. Now I feel like. No, I'm uh, sorry. Uh, Gregory Choke, Father Gregory Choke, one of the formators who's from Poland, had somebody gave him a. A gun, like a holster with a what with one of these guns? with one of these uh, <laughs> one of these thermometers on it. Oh, so you'd walk no. into the room and you go seventy nine point eight, and we'd be like, "That's a terrible." I mean, I'd be dead, wouldn't I, if I had a temperature of seventy nine degrees? So I just was imagining people just. <laughs> have you seen these things that they put it up to you? That puts a it puts a red dot on your forehead. That sounds <laughs> terrifying, Wait, but it's completely inaccurate. Is it a your temperature is sixty four point three. Wait, is puts this it a- back in the holster? It's like what? <laughs> it's so wrong. I think the disturbing part is that he wears a holster. Is it is it a gag gift or is this a medical device? I don't know. That's Whoa. the problem. So that's why I'm laughing. Sorry, you're in the hospital with the lady. You got your temperature. I don't know. That's Continue. gonna bother me. That image <laughs> joke. Um, I don't even know where I was going with that. Oh, the edifying, the edifying sacra- sacrament. So I yeah. go in there, and in this environment, I'm just like, oh, am I going to be, you know, like seen as a problem for the family or whatever? And um, and then like, well, should I feel heroic or something like that? And then I realized quickly once I went into to the room, I was reflecting on this afterward. It wasn't about me anymore. It wasn't like, oh, you know, you're doing something. Or th- I think they said, thank you, Father, whatever. But it was really her joy, her peace and calm, and just the weight of dying that, for me, was really edifying. Because people, people ask, like, isn't it scary to go into these hospital rooms and annoy people when they're dying? You know, Isn't it scary to be around people who are dying? Well, sometimes, fine. And we don't really know. You can't predict. There's mm-hmm. not like, here, get the recipe right, and then you're going to have a good death. But there are some people... This lady was like, the doctor said I'm going to die today to, to her daughter. And her daughter was like, well, hold on, because I got to get the other kids on the line, and I'm trying to get them in here so you can hear their voice. And she said, all right, but I'm ready. Can I have a coffee? Nice. And then, and then she, I, 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 she sees me, and she says, hey, the father is here. Let's pray together, okay? And then... We're, we're praying. I'm doing the sacrament of anointing and everything. And she's got her hands all folded. And she's looking like an angel, smiling at me. This lady just had a heart attack. And she's going to die. Wow. Right? But she's happy. Yeah. I mean, it really was like a testament to me of like, whoa, Mike, quit being all worrywart. Yeah, that's beautiful. It was great. I was just so edified. And I just thought, you know, the sacraments are for... I mean, the sacrament there was a witness to the nurses around. It was a witness to her children. Right, right. Witness to to me. I I loved it. Well, going back to the question of sacraments in a time of pandemic here, because they do kind of make you think about why we're we doing this and what's it about. And uh, we have a new deacon in Scotland. God save the oh, church, Joe McGill. Whoa, I know he's ordained Dude, on Divine I didn't Mercy even think Sunday. About that, they moved it up. He was going to get ordained in Rome. Um, and he is uh, now deacon, and uh, but he told me we were talking. And a he said, deacon, yeah. And he, he said this was just a little child. He still who is was singing he's songs on a guitar. We, as they say, and oh man, stirring yep. up trouble. That's what I think. Of. Oh man, miss that guy. He told me though. He said something great. He said, you know, it was yeah, it was a bummer that I couldn't have like family and friends there. His parents and his brothers were there. He's the only one ordained. But he said after it, it was like he just prayed. He went to the Adoration Chapel and uh, just prayed. Yeah. And so if you're getting married or ordained, part of it is just draw near to the Lord and because um, it's it's a gift. And I told Joe, I said, it was a, it's it's an absolute madhouse yeah. after your wedding or your ordination. See, absolute that's why I'm kind of chaos. Like, I'm kind of jealous because and, I remember I was yeah. just so, um, I don't know, overstimulated, overwhelmed yeah. by all the people and all the joy and all of the nerves and yeah. everything that's going on the to do that it took me two weeks to come down before i could pray like that yeah so there is a silver lining i guess oh congratulations congrats to joe mcgill good for the you man. man paisley i'm proud Scotland. of that guy well what do you say you want to get into a topic here looks like we're gonna have a little showdown to see who's uh who's got a topic well i see how- you got you got a lot of books over there 
How far? We, yeah, I'm, I'm. I got one book. Well, I got a topic. I do too. Problem is, you've done the last few topics. I have. I think so. Wait, really? Yeah. Like you didn't get one in? Nope. Oh well, come on, man. Uh, you have to. Oh, I thought we were going to do you two. Got rosary at nine. Yeah, I got. I'm Dang. doing the, the Zoom rosary. I think we're only nine. doing one tonight. We'll have to. We'll have to do this again. This well, will be you great. Go ahead. We'll do this again sometime, huh? Yeah, that's. You great. know this book, Great Divorce. I read it on uh, Father Matt Book's recommendation once upon a time, and I, all I remember is the grass. The grass, yeah. The grass that's realer than real, and it's yeah. sh- sharp but soft or something. Um, the grass, no, but, no, the grass, you know hard what? as diamonds, hard as diamonds to my ups- unsubstantial feet, made me feel as if I were walking on wrinkled rock and I suffered pain. Reality is harsh to the feet of shadows. This is the grass in yeah. Where afterlife? This is the grass in heaven. In heaven. Yeah. So if you've more ever, real than real. If you've ever read in 1946, C.S. Lewis wrote a short book called The Great Divorce, and uh, I read it shortly after my conversion, like 20 years ago, which is crazy. Yeah, that's talking about like as that. long as I've. And then I taught it in eschatology. That Matt book, he gives good he gives book, good book recommendations. He sure Kristen does. Kristen daughter, Great Divorce. So, anyways, I tagged Dude, it. Dude, I'm glad you picked this because I'm teaching eschatology this. Hey, well, this Saturday, go, man. Well, let's a couple days. You are, but it's biblical. But yes. I've been asking the questions, so. Cool. Well, one of the reasons I'll just I don't want to go into this too long because I want to talk about the book just a little bit. But one of the things we talked about in eschatology is the fact that most people don't believe in hell, and that's a problem for evangelization and for mission. And so there's people such as the theologian Ralph Martin who wrote a book to say we need to start talking about hell, and if we don't start, we got to tell them the bad news before we can tell them the good news because nobody's going to care otherwise, right? That's one approach. I think that's problematic. That's a whole other topic we can get into it. What I wanted to show the guys was there's another way to talk about hell, and that's the way that C.S. Lewis does, which is instead of saying it's this place that you're all going in your mortal sin and blah, 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 and you know, you're going to get poked by demons for in, in flames for the rest of your life or whatever, it gets caricatured by modern man. This is, I think, a, a very profound uh, portrayal of what does heaven and hell look like. The first line he says in the preface is that Blake, the author, um, proposed the marriage of heaven and hell. My job is to show their divorce. Blake wrote The Marriage ah. of Heaven and Hell. If I have written of their divorce, this is not to think that I am myself a fit antagonist for so great a genius, blah, blah, blah. The attempt to make the marriage is perennial. We're always trying to bring heaven and hell together. The attempt is based on the belief that reality never presents us with an absolutely unavoidable either-or. Mm-hmm. And he, so he presents, what does it look like if people from heaven and people from hell were literally interacting together? What would that yeah, look like in order yeah. to demonstrate the divorce? And that's what's genius. So the book starts... Did you ever do... Oh, go ahead. Well, I don't know. Maybe I... Did you, did you ever run into um, Jean-Paul Sartre's um, No Exit? I've seen it. Have you I've ever never, done that? Yeah. That's a good picture of hell. Yeah. If yeah. you get the chance. It's basically just in, in the afterlife, there is no future. You're just stuck with a lot of people who are annoying. Right. It's almost like quarantined with your... I don't know, your least favorite coworkers or something. Is that where he says hell is other people? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. But I mean he didn't be- he wasn't a believer. He was an atheist. Right. You know, through and through. But he was and he was trying to say, hey, look, all this religious afterlife stuff is nonsense. Right. But here's the reality of if you're gonna talk about it, talk about it in on this side, which is, you know, just like the disappointments of life and the difficulty living with people because they're annoying. Yeah, and I think that that's actually a very interesting <laughs> pairing. No exit with with uh, with great divorce. Um, All right, but I didn't even get to, you know. We no, you're good. I, I mean, we need to hear what so you're... many different you know things we could talk about here. I've been working on uh, an article on relationality and dependence, and how I think it's modern man's in a spiritual crisis because he fundamentally rejects his dependence because he thinks that to be dependent means that freedom is not free. So he has to reject everything, but with that goes mm. relationships, everything. So that's a whole other interesting topic we could get into at some point. But um, yeah, there's there's an interesting affinity there between what Sartre kind of works to from an opposite perspective and what Lewis is presenting at the heart mm. of the Christian tradition. Mm. So the book starts in a town. I seem to be standing in a busy queue 
by the side of a long mean street. Evening was closing in, and it was raining. Okay, he's England. But basically, he's in hell, or purgatory is kind of all confusing. At this point, he's just in afterlife, right? He's dead. He's dead, and, okay. but he doesn't really understand this. So he gets on the bus, and he's talking to these people, and it's this whole, everybody's fighting and bickering and attacking each other. And there's, he talks about how everybody's rushing to get on the bus, but there's plenty of room for everybody once oh, they yeah. get on it. So he ends up talking to people. He talks to a communist, and they go up and up and up and up, and they finally come over these cliffs, and then they land on this beautiful kind of pristine, perfect um, land. He says, it, it gave me a sense of freedom, of exposure, possibility of danger, which accompanied me throughout the fall. I noticed the grass did not bend under their feet. Even the dew drops were not disturbed. So it's the reality of this place. Very far away, I could see what might either been the Great Bank of a Cloud or a range of mountains. This is Colorado. We love this, right? Yeah, right. Sometimes I, like I could make out in its steep forests, far withdrawing valleys, and even mountain cities perched on inaccessible summits. The promise or the threat of sunrise rested immovably up there. So it's the place mm. where sunrise is always about to start. Yeah. Is so this like the dark before the dawn, or is it just kind of the... What does I think it's that, it? that moment, you know, Before. like if you're hiking early in the morning and, and you, uh, it's pretty light, but the sun hasn't broken through yet, you know? Yeah. So it's not dark. Oh, but it's, man. I love that moment. Shoot. So Thanks he, for reminding me of that thing. Yeah, there you go. Summer's coming, huh? Hopefully we can get back in the mountains. So then the, the whole story, and again, it's not that long, but there's um, a number of encounters between souls that come down from these heavenly cities to help and bring these souls that have taken the bus ride up to help them basically have conversions and be able to stay in heaven. And it's this so whole... We know, but we know they're heavenly. Yeah. And we know heavenly he's, beings. he's in heaven. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not like, hey, well, like, which way will you go? It, it kind of is. Okay. Yeah, it's kind because of, it, it's, it's a dream. Right? Yeah. So and it's, it sounds like he needs to make a choice to go one right, way or the other. They're right. com- so they've come to convince him. So, yeah, he's not saying this isn't like proper eschatology. There is no choice. Everything's. Well, I like this. Everything's though. already I, like, I mean, as a speculation and as a thought experiment, to he, really get into like how does <laughs> heaven and hell work, I think oh, you yeah. have to have like decision. Yeah, yeah. You have to have free will. But what he. So, in the middle of the book is a chapter where he meets. Um, a character named George McDonald. Do you know that name? No, it sounds like the guy with the restaurant. Right, sounds like the guy with the restaurant. George McDonald was a 19th century Scottish uh, writer who was hugely influential on Lewis. C.S. Lewis loved George McDonald. And he, uh, he is the one who comes down to meet him. And he's kind of the Dante, so to speak, or the Virgil. Oh, yeah. Or, or he's it. the Virgil for Dante. Uh, very explicitly kind of ties that together. Um, and the point of it is to show, you know, nobody can really save themselves. You have to have a guide. You have to be Ooh, in relationship like okay. with other people. But Mac- George MacDonald tells him a couple of gems, and I think that's the heart of the book, is to help us understand what exactly is Lewis saying is what he- we hear George MacDonald say. One of the first things he says is, and, I, and again, I find this to be right at the, the center point or purpose of the book, the blessed, this is what George MacDonald says to him, the blessed will say, we have never lived anywhere except in heaven, and the lost, we were always in hell, and both will speak truly. Yeah. So the point of the afterlife state, yeah. is that you were always in hell. You lived in hell. Yeah. Or you always lived in heaven. And you're stuck. And you're stuck. And so it's, there's continuity, right? Yeah. Yeah, Between yeah, the, self, the self-indulgence, self-preoccupation, kind of just being lost in your ego. And yeah. uh, I think that he really he really sees that, and he sees that connected to human freedom. He says... Now, is that... Okay, go on. Uh, oh, it just says a second quote. George MacDonald also says, There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, Thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. Yep. So yeah. I, li- I like this as that, an I mean, approach. that's a classic one. I've heard that quoted lots of times. What is that? That, that, that last one. What was that last one? Uh, that thy was, will be done. Thy will be done. Yeah. God says, God says thy will, thy be, will done. be done. Now, does this... Okay, I had two questions. One was, um, in Dante, it's Dante as the character of his book. You know, It's not like he's seeing his future, but he's mm-hmm. sort of put himself in the story. Is that true with Lewis here, too? Or is it some character? 
Some dude. Well, it's it, so he is like Dante. Yeah, he's the character. He is the character. I think C.S. Lewis is the character. Yeah, okay. I like that. Now, the interesting but thing is... But it doesn't is, matter a whole lot. Yeah, not really. I mean, he okay. quotes uh, Vita Nuova. Wait for the panic pause No, there, we're okay. People. We're still going. Um, I think it was just behind. So we're always nervous this thing is going to shut down any moment. Yeah, he uh, he quotes... Um, he quotes Incepit Vita Nova, which is the beginning of Dante's book, Vita Nuova, uh, yeah. where he meets Beatrice. Here, yeah, yeah. Here begins, begins the, the new, new life. life. Yeah. And so he's actually drawing a parallel more to Beatrice being in heaven, okay. which is who will, who will guide him guide in him, the comedy, yeah. not as much Virgil. But okay. the point is the guide, yeah. Second question for you, the um, eschatologist. The, does that sound like the fundamental option to you? I mean, I think you have to, I, I like, I agree with, and I think it, it is very important for us to, to recognize this, this um, category of states rather than places, right? right? So, it, and he, he has both. I like that too, because we believe in the resurrection of the body, so, and the wedding of heaven and earth. So, I think I, what kind of concerns me is this idea that, if you're trapped in thy will be done, thy will be done. It's like a, a real stark thing, black and white, you know, and you should be able to assess, am I, am I in grace right now? Am I in sin right now? Is, is it all me and my ego? Is it, you know, my life? And I, that seems to me like it's a very hard thing to sort of determine. Like, do I do the right thing or am I in the church or do I say the right prayers or, you know what I mean? It's kind of, and there are some Protestants who have this fundamental option thing where it is just, have you chosen to give your life to God? It's a sketchy road. You stumble and everything, but you're there. Or have you chosen against that? You're living your life for you. And that seems like more clear, this fundamental option. Did you say yes or did you say no? And um, when when called by God, you know, yeah. God somehow breaks into every life and then you choose. And I guess I think there's just more nuance to it. I mean, I, I, I like that the point is that the hell is what you're living. Like you're there because you're selfish and you can start on this side and you could look at people and say you're in hell. You're living your own hell, and, uh, and you're trapped. And I, I like the, the thought experiment of just asking somebody, Jesus comes along and he says, hey, come with me, you can live with me forever. But you know you're totally free, and you can say, no thanks, I'm doing my thing. And there's, like, why is it, if, if you don't, if you take away the problem of, like, standing in front of these, this, you know, fork in the road, where one side is the demons with their pitchfork and one side is like the angels with their tennis rackets, then of course you're going to choose the one, right? And this is where C.S. Lewis is breaking it down, that that's not, that's not what it is. It's, um, it's choices that you make, that you can make now, and you have good reasons to, to choose them, you know? You're taking care of yourself. You're doing something that you think is best, and you're choosing hell, Right? So I don't. I guess. I mean, I mean, my two points are just one is how do we avoid that fundamental option problem of do you you know is the switch on or is it off? Um, are you good or are you bad person um, and by your choice? And then um, and then the other piece is just like I <clears throat> I I like the change in imagery, but where is his place for hell? I guess that's where. I'm wondering where he goes with that, if he entertains any more of that thought or if it's just an invitation toward heaven that he could reject. Yeah. Those are good questions, um, huge ones. McDonald was probably a um, professed double predestination as a Scotch Calvinist, oh, well, that, which, which means that God... Yeah, that's as clear as you get. But I don't think Lewis does, and I don't think Lewis is into the fundamental option. Maybe somebody might be listening to this who knows Lewis better, but I, I think what he's saying here is... Um, and maybe this will be helpful as I explain this next part, um, that I, I think he is saying 
the moral quality of human action and human freedom is hellish or heavenly, depending on if depending on how our loves work out. Yeah, the so order. He's, so he's very Augustinian in mm. this sense um, about getting all of kind of the loves in order. So let's table that for a second, and we'll see if we can circle back to it. Yeah. Um, George MacDonald, the, the meeting with him stands in the middle for Lewis of what I, what I and I had a really great um, class on this with the guys, but I, we took the six kind of vignettes, six chapters of these interactions with different people. And they were all totally different, but they all basically revealed how we get stuck in hell, in the hell of our own mentality um, because of a false understanding of love, whether it's um, preferring love of self over love of God, love of others over... Love of God. A love of God, which is yeah. a big part of it, right? Mm-hmm. That's a big... And that'll be um, something that, that plays out. So the first, the first one of the six is a bishop... Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, and his whole thing is around intellectual pride. Oh, interesting. Okay, and uh, it's a very and he's an academic. It's and not because he, he, he published wheel- papers he and wielded books a gun in the middle of a he homily. He didn't wield a gun in the middle of a homily, but he uh, um, he's just the 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 classic kind of liberal uh, liberal in the sense of liberalism, not politically here, but um, he just didn't believe in the faith, but he made a career out of it and he published books and he uh-huh. gave lecture series and these things. And it's the story of this guy, of his friend trying to break him out of this. That's the first. Second one is a cynic that uh, Lewis encounters. And he gets really disturbed by this guy. It's all propaganda. They all want us to be here. It's all, you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. all the modern skepticism, which again, I think is really deeply in us. You know, prove it, prove it. Everything's Everything is, is questioned. We got to un, uh, you know, yeah. uh, unmask everything. It's all power struggle. It's very Marxist or Freudian or whatever. Is there like a response, like to the first heady guy? He says, like, well, I need more heart. Um, yeah, I'll tell you. I is t- there like, a, what would you say to the cynic? Something like, um, trust me or something. Well, the first one's interesting, Mike, and this really hit me personally. I've been praying with a lot of this stuff. This is what the academic uh, bishop says. I'm perfectly ready to consider it, that is, staying in heaven. Of course, I should require some assurances. I should want to guarantee that they are taking me to a place where I shall find a wider sphere of usefulness and scope for the talents that God has given me and an atmosphere of free inquiry. In short, all that one means by civilization and uh, the spiritual life. And the heavenly being says, no, I can promise you none of these things. No sphere of usefulness. You are not needed here at all. Oh, So beneath all of this is the egocentric activism. Yeah. I define myself by what I do based on how I egotistically acknowledge who I am. And, uh, well, this has been my, this has been a hell for me. I mean, I'll confess that right now. I mean, it's like, uh, there was a point where I was recognized for intellectual talent. Okay. And I'm, I'm not just saying that it's like a, whatever, an ego thing. It's just real. And they, um, and they say, hey, go go do this. Give this as a service to the church, right? And I want to, and I go to, but I never had invested any of my identity in that. That was, it might have been the case, you know, it's like if you have some talents. But I just never said, okay, that's where I'm at. That's who, that's who I am, and that's what I have to give. Now I'm being asked to do that, and it's like um, a challenge not to get into this mode of this is all I have to give. Or if, if I fail, and I've experienced some s- serious failures in the intellectual world, um, th- what does that mean for me? Yeah. I'm supposed to be doing this. This is my gift to the church, isn't it? You know? And then what, and then what else? If I can't hang my hat on something, you know, that's the usefulness. Then what? Then how am I useful? Am I... You know, does it does my gift matter? Does my presence matter in the yeah know, in the church in the in the economy of God? You know, yeah. No, I, I, it's a huge uh, huge question, but I think you have not responded like the bishop. I know that for a fact because um, well, when, I God, should say, when God says I should say, you I, can't measure, I, I know that crisis right. But when God's but he never went through that crisis. That's uh, the difference. He was successful all the way, and he always lived in the illusion that he could measure his own usefulness. 
Yeah. And I think that's the disillusionment that happens that we all have to go through. And I think a lot of people are going through it right now. I hope a lot of priests in the parish are going through it. Don't define yourself on what you do. That's not your priesthood. Ooh, it's scary, man. It's scary. So, but anyways, we got to keep moving because we got five, four more to go, and okay. I, I want to wrap them up here. You got the bishop, you got the cynic, bishop, the cynic, and then the and then the first woman is introduced, and um, she is a, a woman who desires to be unseen, and this is interesting. Her struggle is not pride; it's not cynicism; it's self preoccupation. She is just so um, obsessed with herself. It's all about, she's a well-dressed woman, but um, they keep saying, you know, just, but there's obviously some shame in her life that she ha- she just refuses uh, okay. to, to allow people to see. And she keeps saying, I'm not afraid of being hurt, but I, I would rather die than be seen in this. And, and, Interesting. And uh, the Spirit keeps encouraging her. But one of the lines that's really powerful is he says, could you only for a moment fix your mind on something, not yourself? Right? Mm. She had it so much made up in her head that, she was so ugly and shameful, whatever it was that she couldn't bring to the light. And the, the Spirit is just saying, just bring it, bring it out. Yeah. And it'll be horrible for a second, like drinking scalding coffee, but then it'll start to be okay. That's how he describes it. So. That's a great lesson. I mean, I, I see that a lot in confession where I'm like, somebody comes in and there's, I'm so bad, I'm so bad, right. or whatever, I'm so ashamed or whatever. And that's real. Okay. So I'm not trying to poo poo that. But it, as, a, as a father, you want to say, hey, look, I want you to be seen. I want people to see you and in your weakness. And then, then you can get, develop a sense of your dignity, right? Yeah. If you hide or, you know, like kind of mouse away, then you're never going to get that. Yeah. You think you're like, you think you're responding correctly to the um, shameful whatever, Shameful reality, some history, some sin, whatever. And you're not supposed to hide. You know? yeah. That's inter okay. The woman. So those are the first three before he meets George McDonald. And those three I described to the guys as this is the perf- the choice of self-love over love of God. So okay. they're all self-preoccupied, self-obsessed, whether it's pride, cynicism is a kind of self-preoccupied, and then this kind of self-hatred. shame, self-hatred. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's the first thing. What's interesting is after George McDonald, the chapter with him, then it's three really striking um, because it's three people who chose the love of others over their love of God, and they destroyed themselves in their love of others. It's a spouse, it's a mother, and then it's a guy who we'll describe as the dwarf and the tragedian, if you've ever heard of this. He's actually, he becomes two different people. Um, and no, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, the well, dwarf and the tragedian. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, people who have read this know what I'm talking about. It's a very famous uh, image. But so these are the three ways that they. Um, so the spouse, first off, she shows up and she has to have her husband because she's a woman of control. And it's, it's all about I controlled him. I fixed his life. I got him this job. I got him this influence. Yeah. I did this, this, and this. And she comes up and starts demanding and nagging. Um, for this man, and uh, yeah, it's, I can't be in heaven unless I can do this. Exactly, and it's terrible. Like, there's a line uh, where she says, uh, "You have." It, so it's like her self deception collapses into self pity. She's just the black hole of of her own self fixation and constant struggle to need to control her husband, who she controlled and destroyed. He had a mental breakdown in his life. Is is what uh, Lewis tells us, um, and it's. She says, I mean, I'm so, when she's describing her life in hell, she says, I'm so miserable. I must have, I must have someone to, to do things to. It's f- simply frightful down there. No one minds about me at all. I can't alter them. Is yeah, that haunting? Just control. So it's, it's, it's the hell of control. But she doesn't say to do things for. Nope. Because I think. Do things to. Oh, man. I must have some, someone it's hard to. because I, I just see it, like when it plays out, it's always self-deception. Mm-hmm. I do things for people. Right. You know, even if you you really do fall into this hell. Yeah. Ah. So that's that's the, uh, the the spouse. And then the next one is the mother. And this is a really in, another intense chapter. Um, she demands her son, Michael, right? Who died that's before a good name. her. Yeah, yeah. A good name. Who died before her and it basically ruined her life. She just died in grief because she oh, her love possessed part. him. Yeah. And this the spirit who's trying to help her move through this says something a couple of really beautiful lines. Human beings can't make one another really happy for long. Mm. Isn't that a great line? Human beings can't make one another really happy for long. 
you can't do it. Your love, the 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 kind of fairy tale wedding or family life that's just you guys fulfill each other and everything corresponds perfectly to desires of your heart, not gonna happen. You cannot love a fellow creature fully till you love God. Sometimes this conversation can be done while the instinctive love is still gratified. The instinct was uncontrolled and fierce and monomaniac. Their whole, the whole lie dominated by the tyranny of the past. Nothing can be yours by nature. You possess nothing. Uh. So this is the, the, the idolatry of uh, the mother's love that's inverted because it's really about her. Right? Yeah. It's about her ego and about her need to, to take care of her son. So she comes up to heaven and, and reclaims him. Right? Yeah. It's intense. And then she has to let go. And then she has to, well, yeah, and some of them do, some of them don't. You got, the story is, it's interesting ah. how that all plays out. But here's one final line on this, and then we'll go to the last one and call it here. This is, the, this is what the Spirit says to the mother. When your own heart's been broken, it will be time for you to think of talking. But someone must say in general, oh, I'm sorry, this is George MacDonald saying to Lewis, when your own heart's been broken, it will be time for you to think of talking. But someone must say in general what's been set, unsaid among you this many a year. That love, as mortals understand the word, isn't enough. Every natural love will rise again and live forever in this country, but none will rise again until it has been buried. And Lewis says, this saying is almost too hard for us. Natural loves have to be ordered to the love of God. If you prefer even the, the best things in your life, the child, the greatest gifts of your life, if you prefer that to the love of God, that love will destroy you, and it will, it will, you will live in hell by that idolatry, by that possessiveness yeah. that will take over your heart. You think of, you think of lines as like, I'll never love again. Right. Well, you won't. Right. Oh, man. But that's so hard, dude. Really, I mean, I, I like that there's, okay, there's a guide, there's a hope. God, God is helping with all these things. And I think, I mean, that's, that's real hope. But I just think that the difficulty for me in that category is these people are in front of me. This is the person I can love, like, tangibly. To love God, what does that mean? It means so much and so little and so abstract. And so That's the challenge. That's but the I challenge. do think there is something of, like, detachment that's, like, actually something we can do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay, let, tell me Lastly, about Lastly, the dwarf this, and the tragedian. So this is there's the... two characters? Or yeah, one? so it's one person who's split. Okay. He's so he's so duplicitous that he literally manifests as two as a tiny person who's holding a, a tragedian, this huge kind of giant person on a chain. All right. <laughs> yeah. And I think the, my read on this is that it's resentment because what happens is this woman named Sarah comes out and um, she's followed by all these animals and all these children and they sing in there and it's this beautiful kind of communion and it's being explained that this was her love. She was a mother to these children, to these animals, to this life. And now it's just all of these loves were good. Contrast that with the dwarf who was her friend and maybe husband, it doesn't say, who was jealous of all of those loves. And so he hardened into resentment. And the resentment is manifest in this tragedian who like does the talking for him. But he's shrinking and shrinking as he's talking because he's getting so consumed with the fact that her love for him is not exclusive, that she doesn't ah. just focus on him, that she shared her love with all of these people. And, and they're trying more and more to kind of get him to, to let go of the chain, let go of the, the tragedian is the resentment that is not even you. That's just this thing that you're carrying around that actually speaks for you. It's very, it's, I, it's extremely powerful. Well, it's a image. cool image. I'll have to look into it. It sounds like jealousy. Yeah, it's jealousy. And it's then, resentment. Yeah, like the it dwarfed by your own fear. That's that's a sad. I mean, tragedian is right because it's like that is a tragic life. But you you do see people like playing the victim. Yeah, I'm victim all the time, and it's like, well, can't you appreciate what you got? Yeah, and your life would be more full, you know. Or are you just going to be what you don't have? Yeah, and there's know? a lot of self pity in this. But tra- why can't he see that he could be a part of this beautiful, like? collection of right. the zoo of love <laughs> well and this is where he and we'll close with this one he says but what we called love down there was mostly the craving to be loved in the main i loved you for my own sake because i needed you and that's the tragedy uh, of inverting human loves to try and get them to correspond and fulfill the desires of our hearts 
is that we use them. And he couldn't just love freely, like this woman who's described as she beca- her motherhood was different. In her, they became themselves. All of these children, these animals, these things, they, uh. they become more themselves the more that she loved them. And that's the great, that's heaven, is where we love others and we give of ourselves and they become more themselves. And more and, free. And more free. And the love, the, the pseudo false love of hell is that we actually use the people that we think we're loving to make us more ourselves, but we strip them of what they are. Powerful Ooh. book. Highly recommended, folks. Johnny, that was cool, man. There you go. I'm glad you taught that to your guys, and thank you for teaching me. That's neat. Well, you can sprinkle it in on Saturday, So, but we better wrap it up here. I went kind of long. so. All right. Well, by way of shout-outs, um, I don't know any of these names, and it bothers me, but I've recently learned that there, the Amazon uh, gifts come with a little barcode, and then you can scan it and send a thank you note to people oh i found this out too late so i'm oh, sorry dang. but i've been g- receiving gifts of the sandalwood flavor oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's come back around man you got your sandalwood and somebody sent me sandalwood deodorant i've got sandalwood that's not bad I've candles oh man no my whole life is delightful that is man, quarantine so i never thought there was something so you good you are swimming in sandalwood stuck, stuck inside of the sandalwood oh that's funny so thank you to all those sandalwoods sandalwood people and then uh, somebody sent me a box of about 20 pounds of David's sunflower seeds uh, because I like uh, savories. There you go. Now, I think if, if I die or shrivel up, it's not the it's not the COVID. It's going to be it's the, the seeds, man. Excessive. That's a lot of salt. He loved the seeds too much. Yeah. Anyway, thank you, folks. I think um, your generosity blows me away. I never, I'm not, I never cease to be amazed, um, but I'm grateful. Nice. Uh, My shout out just to reiterate again, Deacon Joe McGill. Love you, buddy. Grateful for your your ordination. Wish we could have been there. I Uh, would sing you a song, but you've already you already know that my voice is terrible. And he hates it when we imitate him. So we'll just spare him and give him a true shout out. But as his songs were always violent anyway. That's true. That's true. So, anyways, like that's it. Okay, um, Mary Lynn Baird. Thank you for the mask. I've, I wore it. I'm wearing it. She made me a mask that is uh, like a garden theme. There you go. And her, her, her daughter, Maddie, just celebrated her birthday yesterday. Oh, Maddie. Ooh, Very nice. CatholicStuffPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Hope you're not losing your mind in quarantine. And we'll see you next Blessings, week. Blessings, friends.